The following is part two of a two-part podcast, so if you're interested in understanding what's going on, make sure that you're caught up on the previous part. Conspiratorially uh, put on, America. That's not, it's not the case. Um, you, you talked earlier about uh, these, these socialist countries that were aligning with China, and I wanted to talk to you about it because there's like these fringe groups and these elements that are getting funded by China that I think, uh, tertiarily at least, you have voiced some support for. Uh, Evo Morales' government in Bolivia is one of them, and you, you, you know, it is, to a certain extent, real politics. I agree. But why wouldn't you critique a socialist government that's engaging in the same type of surveillance state uh, technology or use to monitor its own civilians, to put down co-ops and worker cooperatives in the way that the Morales government has? Like, I, I, were you just not aware of what the Morales government has done in the past? And also, I, I find it very weird that somebody who's focused on promoting democracy and freedom also was like very excited to see Evo Morales like, uh, you know, the entire situation unfold and call it a coup and say that the fascist has, seized, has, has had seized powers and the CIA was BTFO, to use flowery language. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think that the CIA was orchestrating some coup in Bolivia to give Elon Musk the lithium because what ended up happening was uh, Elon Musk saw the writing on the wall and like a dick because all of these cat rich pricks are, are at the end of the day, they have no actual interest in protecting America or Americans or the world or humanity. They're only concerned with their profit margin. He just went and invested in, in China and, and made deals with the Chinese Communist Party to get the lithium from Bolivia. He doesn't need the US government to step in because they've already said, you know what, you can go just deal with the Chinese and get your, uh, get your lithium that way. So that's what he decided to end up doing uh, rather than any type of like, I know that he tweeted out like, we can coup whoever we want like a dumbass, but that's just, you know, listen, that's the unadulterated uh, swagger of stupid billionaires, right? No doubt. So I, I, can, I can only agree with your presupposition here. If I were to believe that the effect leftists have in America is destabilizing, but I couldn't agree mm. uh, less. If anything, Bernie Sanders gave the Democratic Party a political platform that gave them a vision for the future far better than what they were advocating for before. In 2015, 2016, when Hillary Clinton was the presumed frontrunner and little-known Chad Bernie Sanders stepped in, the policy positions, the attitude, the means that Hillary Clinton was bringing to the table were ones which directly lead to the advent of people like Donald Trump, which is why, that he, why he won. Hillary Clinton's vision for the future was not convincing to the American people. But Bernie Sanders, well, he didn't win, but his platform has influenced the DNC heavily. And I would argue that the overall effect that socialists have had on America thus far have been stabilizing. It was socialists who were accused of being uproarious destabilizers back in the early 20th century when they fought for unions or workers' rights too. But then it turned out that you actually need unions and workers' rights to prevent societies from decaying the way they are right now. It was socialists who fought for, um, well, who fought for abolition back during the slave days. And we know how that panned out. And they were also called destabilizing rabble-rousers and same with the civil rights movement. It seems like the process you call destabilizing is actually just the growing pains of us moving to a better iteration of what we currently are. I mean, if you are so worried about China, it's not socialists who are mainly doing deals with China. It's capitalist America. The idea, the, the idea that it's like little socialist governments that are bolstering the, the Chinese regime is, is, is not the case. The vast, vast majority of their trade is with capitalist countries because they're capitalist. We have no issue with them. We're ideologically, economically, our... We're, we're in tandem in that respect. I think the reason why Bolivia, and again, like you work with China or you work with 
America. I think the reason why Bolivia side with China in this issue is simply because they want protection. Because having an economic investment from a massive country like China decreases the likelihood that America is going to interfere in the future. Which, the CIA doesn't do everything bad abroad, but like, let's be real. America doesn't exactly have a positive history with foreign policy in Latin America. We, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely something to that. With regards to like the CIA directly involving themselves in Bolivia and lithium and what have you, I think, I mean, leftists, to an extent, including myself, will curse the CIA anytime they stub their toe. Uh, so there's definitely been a variance there as to how seriously any individual claim that should be taken. I'm always going to be in support of countries like Bolivia, like, uh, you know, socialist-leaning developing countries, attempting to distinguish and autonomize themselves from American influence, because we are numero uno at finding ways to fuck these countries over. Nobody does it better than us. We are, we are prime. And even if we didn't do it in any individual instance, we always could have, and we always have an interest in doing so. So I can't necessarily blame them for wanting to operate under the wing of a larger country that probably won't do that sort of thing. And as for the thing where I like democracy, but Evo Morales, I think that Evo Morales was incredibly irresponsible with how he handled his little mini constitutional crisis, but he was so undeniably good for the country. He was so much better than the alternative that I couldn't find it in my heart to be too upset with him. I think what he should have done is what's happening right now, which is he should have stepped down and had like, you know, his successor step up. And that way you avoid, I imagine, and from what I've read, it seems like, it seems like that might've been on the table for a time, but Morales was concerned about loyalty or efficacy and decided to just go through with it himself. Now that logic right there, I'm going to stay in power, even though it's kind of a triple loophole legally, that's the logic of an authoritarian. And I, I acknowledge that. But in a utilitarian sense, if you if you have to meander between uh, jimmying up the constitutional works to further the, the presidential term of a person good for the country or allow like an autocrat in nature take power otherwise, I think things get a lot more complicated. I think it was a mistake though. I'm glad that he's what he's doing right now with, with another member of the party taking the front lead. I think that's very preferable. I'm extremely excited to see where Bolivia goes in the future. Uh, uh, yeah, I, um, I mean, I'm just some small nobody, so uh, there's no way you could know this, but I'm basically known. People hate me. I mean, the fascists hate me, the communists hate me. Everybody kind of just hates me in the political sphere because I'll go on these political panels on Twitch or on YouTube or whatever, and I'll, um, I'll, I'll punch right and I'll punch left. I punch basically everybody on the panel. They all piss me off for different reasons. The right, especially for enabling China, uh, in my mind, you know, is it was Reagan conservatism, the moral majority, which ultimately gave us the politics necessary for rising China to even exist in the first place. It was the one who gave them the economic resource without tying any type of social liberalization to that economic benefit that the Chinese government was receiving. Even after the Tiananmen Square massacre, even after this incident, there was negotiations the day after in private by the government to normalize trade relations with China. Because of course, all of the capitalists within America wanted to uh, extract more wealth from China. And I completely, I, I'm on board with the critique. Um, Christian democracy, 
you know, isn't inherently capitalistic. The only reason that I, I defend capitalism is a pragmatic solution to solving the problems of today. I don't think that having more ideologues is the way forward. I think that maybe recentering uh, capitalism, at least in America, around human worth and human value, at least towards, you know, you could, you could, we can measure different things than just GDP. That can be one metric that we use. We can look at uh, life expectancy, which has gone down. We can look at suicides. We can look at radicalization rates, whatever it is, to determine the types of policies we want to implement in our society. And I have no problem with reforms to do so. I have no problem with Bernie Sanders. In fact, Bernie Sanders is the only reason I ever got involved in politics. I was a jaded teenager who just thought the world was doomed and that ultimately my life was, you know, I was very nihilistic and like I didn't have much hope for the future. And it was Bernie Sanders who came in as like, knock, 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 hey, little 17 year old, have some hope. Shake, hey, you're going to get up here and we're going to change the world and make it a better place. And it, it was him who, who spurred my, uh, my interest in politics and eventually, you know, me working in politics and me looking into Wait, how old philosophy. are you now? Oh, I'm, tw I'm, I'm 23. I'm 27. Yeah. You called me a boomer. I thought you wait, were you, a teenager. Okay, wait, wait. But millennials have this type of like disconnect from mass technology use that separates them culturally, okay? I, I just, I, I half relate. I, I call myself a boomer zoomer, okay? I'm like basically the oldest you can get while still being a zoomer. But like I was raised by the internet and the millennials, they were like half raised by the internet. Okay, I have some pretty vivid memories of me being 10 on Newgrounds. But yeah, okay, okay. Zuma, <laughs> go for it. It's one more level for me personally. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, the last thing that I'll, I'll mention uh, in my mind, you know, I've said this before. I, I think that that uh, China is the modern day equivalent of Nazi Germany. That what they're engaging in in Xinjiang is is uh, ethnic genocide. That they're promoting. Uh, basically what, what the equivalent of white supremacy for the region, Han supremacy for their people, that they're a totalitarian dictatorship hell-bent on world domination. They admit as much in their five-year plans. They say, hey, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to gain control of these industries. We're going to advance in these industries and thereby take up more uh, uh, global market share and influence these countries over to our way. And they're doing it with disproportionately and sadly not, not just socialist governments, but they're doing it with, with authoritarian dictatorships. They're doing it with places like Greece, which has suffered from massive amounts of destabilization. Uh, but Portugal is a good example of a country that's ruled by a, a, so, a socialist coalition. It's the Socialist Party, the Communist Party, and the Green Party who have a coalition government in Portugal. And they're the ones blocking the EU uh, 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 like condemnations of what's going on in China and their human rights abuses and their oppression of, of minority populations within their society. I, this is the problem for me as I look around and I, I'm like, these people, like, while yes, they might advocate for systems that or would seemingly give more equity to people, more wealth distribution and make people's lives better. They're also working with the world's modern day equivalent of Nazi Germany. I don't know that you would, you would say that, well, you know, listen, uh, if there was a, a, a lib libertarian socialist government somewhere in the world and it worked, collaborated with Nazi Germany, that th that government, like, well, you know, listen, what was their other option? America? America would have quashed it. Like, that's, that seems like a cop out. Like, well, that's just real politic. Like, no, it's not a good thing to work with these people. If you don't mind, if I could just jump in really fast. Um, Vosh, if you want to respond to that, and then Internex, if you want to respond to Vosh, since um, Vosh went first, Internex, you can end, and we can go into Q&A. Is that good with both of you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have much more to add, so honestly, if after he responds to that, we could just go to Q&A. Okay, sounds good. Unless there's something crazy, then I'll jump in. <laughs> Probably nothing too crazy. Yeah, so then, okay, my, my concluding statement then. So. I don't think that political engagement should be defined, or the worthwhileness of political engagement should be defined entirely by how effectively you're opposing China. 
I think that the country is a bad country. I think it should be opposed. I think it's an autocratic, capitalist, imperialist nation. Um, I think there were other elements of moral worth with regard to political engagement. But if you want to fight China, then I say we do this. We need to um, advocate for strong social democracy within this country because that is a stabilizing force. It will prevent far-right radicalization. And this is something that traditionally the left has been at the forefront of. I think that as America is made to be slightly less destructive around the world, um, then leftists will be less inclined towards a sort of general anti-American allegiance towards China. They have to be given something to believe in. We need to push for active uh, leftist policies within this country because it seems like every time we do, it somehow leads to bettering the world. I mean, when it comes to slavery or workers' rights or anti-war, it just, it always seems like even if the way we do it isn't always the best way, and even if the individual adherents of our ideology aren't always the best, it seems like most of the big fights socialists get into in America tend to be ones where, in retrospect, we end up agreeing with us. You know, MLK, socialism, civil rights, etc., etc. But I think the big goal here, really, should be a, a formation of an international humanitarian trade bloc that makes an effort to strangle out nations from the global market if they're not willing to adopt certain humanitarian policies. And I think that requires cooperation between our country and others. And I think that's going to require cooperation between our country and the global south, which we have traditionally ignored or exploited. I think we need to rope them into the fold. I think they need to develop their own distinct and autonomous political power because otherwise we essentially leave like two-thirds of the world's population open to being swept up by China, who, in their practicality, absolutely is willing to work with them, is willing to give them better deals. I think that we have cost ourselves. Our relentless pursuit of neoliberal uh, global policy has led to a a real politic which is not in our favor. I, I, I think that. And I think that's a long-term goal. And eventually, ideally, you know, we can we can crunch China into adhering to these policies as well. Now, this isn't to speak of responding to China with regards to the treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. Any sort of broad international trade response, that's not going to happen fast enough. With, with the Uyghur Muslims, that's a more immediate and more severe situation. And to be honest, I don't know what we can do about that. We obviously can't engage in a ground war for like 40 reasons. That's not an acceptable option. And I don't think we have the economic leverage to force them out of that behavior unless we were willing to accept severe domestic sacrifices. I don't know. Uh, we can't PR shame them out of it because the extent to which the Chinese government controls internal media is, you know, we it's difficult. But I don't know if that's a capitalism versus socialism issue. That should just be a pro-human versus anti-human issue. I don't, I don't have a solution to that. I doubt anyone out there has a great solution to that either. So in, so in summary, I think that a responsible promotion of socialist ideals would be effective not only in stabilizing our country, uh, but in promoting a political environment which would help us unify against Chinese uh, uh, aggression and expansionism. And it would also have the side effect of making America better too, which is also good because I'm also not a big fan of us or the things that we do, you know. I mean, the Uyghur Muslim situation is pretty terrible and that's recent going on and, you know, Mao's China killed how many people? But if you look back on all the stuff that America has done as well, both the overt deaths of our wars and the implicit deaths caused by poverty that we benefit from perpetuating, I think that we deserve quite a bit of criticism ourselves. To what extent, I don't know. Both should be fought against.
my opinion. Uh, can can I ask you can I ask you a question? Do you do you really believe that thirty percent of the Republican Party would support slavery in the modern day? I think that's that's a quote. That's a quote. Uh, if it was like modern day, like you just rope up all black people or whatever, no. But I think that if it was like, hey, we have these um, asylum refugees here. You know, they don't want to be deported back to their home country. So, okay, here you go. Here's a new slave charter. And you sold it the right way. I think, yeah, 30, maybe mm. even more than 30%. I do believe that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's if you sold it to them well. They, I, well, I, I think uh, yeah. that that's the, the language itself, right? Like there's something obvious. There's something implicit in the nature of somebody being like willing to support slavery or being a person like saying that these are their values or implying that these would be their values in a certain situation. That's like... In my mind, actually, most of the problem with left-leaning ideals, I, I really, I want Medicare for all. I want a system where, you know, Mima is not going to die because you can't afford her cancer treatment payment, right? I, I want a situation where, um, you know, people are supported by a welfare state that cares about them. In fact, I'm, in my opinion, uh, I think that a stronger welfare state is probably the way forward for uh, enabling entrepreneurship and giving people the autonomy and and the ability really to just come up with whatever creative shit they want to. I mean, the reason businesses fail is because I'm sorry, the reason that there isn't uh, we aren't the, like the leader in entrepreneurship in the world is because people are too nervous to start their businesses because they think they're going to go bankrupt. Or yeah. Their lives are going to, they're going to be out on the streets. They're going to be poor. I agree with all of these things. So I'm, I don't think that there's anything wrong with advocating for left-leaning ideals because, well, I advocate for them. It's mostly the radical elements that I, I witness when I, when I'm told like, Hey, Endernax, you're you're a, a fascist scumbag because uh, you support accepting Hong Kong refugees, and what China is doing is actually just de-imperialization of Hong Kong, and uh, democracy is a Western cause. I'm just like, I want to please bash my head in. What no, are you no, talking well, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, of course. But you, if you've seen me online, you know I spend like a lot of time arguing with the rest of the online left. These tankies, I think they're a very loud minority. I think they ruin online discourse, but there's not really like a tanky wing in the Democratic Party, you know? Whereas Bernie sure. Sanders was able to, to steal the hearts of tens of millions. I think the internet just does a bad... Well, actually, I don't know if I would agree with that because I actually think that the online right is fairly representative of the IRL right. Because the IRL right, as long as, as, as far as we know through polling, actually does seem to be fairly fucking crazy. But the online left, if you pull them, it's like... Ah, uh, yes, I bl the, glo the glory of, of Dengism, you know, may it wash over our shores. And then you go and look at the real left, and literally nobody believes that. So I, I, I don't know, you know? Fun anecdote to end on, by the way. My, my, uh, my immediate family are all Republicans. They're all conservatives. All very good people, of course. Uh, in 2016, I, I, they, they all said uh, if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, that they would have crossed over for the first time. They were one-issue voters on abortion, and they were willing to ignore that issue in the 2016 election to vote for Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump because they thought he was a horrible person. Now, I will say uh, they have officially... I, it's something about Facebook and the internet and social media. My mom is like an anti-vaxxer and she's fucking crazy now. I don't know what happened, but like there is definitely some very coercive elements of the internet that need to be wrangled in and quickly. Yeah, I unironically wonder if democracy can survive the existence of the internet. I don't know. But it might be too much information. It might just be like the bombardment of constant. I mean, it drives me insane. Like I can't imagine what somebody who isn't as, as crazy, like as plugged in I don't, I don't know on that note i am going to bombard both of you with some questions <laughs> um, <laughs> um first one i'm we're gonna have to go through these kind of quickly um 
some of them are questions and I'll just read them. The first one is from Jezer. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And they say, Hail Satan, an interesting uh, start to our question. <laughs> um, second one is from Sigifredo Sarabia. At Bosch, can you describe how you would build socialism from a blank slate, i.e., can you avoid critiquing another system or benefiting what's already in place? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that all political and social and economic developments take place within the context of the. I'm a materialist and a believer in historical materialism. I don't believe it's really possible to construct anything absent the precedents which led to it, which is the case with art and culture and everything. There's always like an earlier derivative. If you go back to Rome or Greece or the Macedonians or however far back you're capable of going, there's always something that you build upon. I couldn't even fathom having to construct a, a, a political system absent any like groundwork, you know? that I, That's unfathomable to me. I, I wouldn't even know how you'd do that. Gotcha. All right, next one is from Oren Wells. He says, socialism is a scheme. Vosh is still recovering from his debate from destiny. Socialism Next... is a scheme? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean I, I'm scheming. It's, well, that is true. I still have a headache from that debate. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm scheming. <laughs> I'm scheming to make socialism. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Next one is also from Sigifredo Sarabia. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, at Vosh, without enterprise slash competition, how do you progress? Um, there are plenty of historical markers for um, innovation which have taken place outside of market economies. In fact, a lot of the base level innovation we get in modern day development comes from public funding, from, from scientists and uh, entrepreneurs who just not entrepreneurs, sorry, inventors and engineers who just enjoy making new things. And usually the job of the private market is to take those products or those technologies and to find ways to adapt them for common use. Um, but that's a doable process. But even then, with market socialism, there's still commodification. But the system that I was advocating for here, I think that there are systems where that process, using a profit incentive to encourage people to produce good products for market, I think that works well in some respects. And I would be interested in testing the limits there. How far can we push that before it stops being functional, you know? I gotcha. Next one is from Deku Deku. They say, how does Endernax feel about Alden's criticism of capitalism? Well, you see, Alden's number is a, a very important number. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it, I know it's a meme, so. <laughs> Next one is from Ben Steed at Endernax. How can you argue capitalism offers the most stable society when it failed so dramatically in 2008 and required mass bailouts to survive? See, I never made the claim explicitly that uh, capitalism was the ultimate system that makes the most stable societies. That's not the case. I'm just simply working within a realm that where my the tools around me have already been built up over the course of hundreds of years. I have to work with what I'm given and uh, the things that I'm concerned about seem like a, 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 a removal of that system would result in a, a not not just destabilized America, and I keep saying destabilized mostly because I'm nervous, but uh, the, the world around us would begin to fall apart as you try to strip away these economic systems that are basically supporting a lot of the world, even, even if they are, um, you know, they're, they're uh, uh, 
exploitative or they're, there's, there's something wrong about them. They still hold the world together. And the minute you start removing the tentacles that the United States has all over the planet is the minute that you get um, a, a resurgent China being like, hey, hey, guess what? We'll, do, we'll offer the same thing a little bit better. And if you default on the loan and you can't pay it back, well, we get a military base and like all of these, uh, these natural resources that you have. And also the Chinese are gonna like come in here and like mine it out themselves. So that's, that's yeah. Gotcha. Next one is from Afameo. They said, would you say open standards and or software freedom are examples of de decommodification? Uh, yeah, to an extent, absolutely. Not not in the traditional sense, because just because you have like open software doesn't mean that you can't profit off developing something. But it is a it, it's a very selective type of decommodification with regards to intellectual property that I think actually furthers um, innovation, which which is something worth considering. There are actually ways in which innovation is stifled by the quote-unquote free market we have today um Endernax presciently pointed one out when uh, he talked about how very often people aren't willing to start a new business because they know that failure could mean bankruptcy which is insane like if you if you want a system that maximizes the amount of innovation like having people gamble their their retirement on a, a new product or on a business is is ludicrous you know so that's probably something we should work on as well there are a lot of benefits that we could probably work on that was um that was something I thought you know I was rewatching a lot of debates that's where I got all these quotes from you Bosch um I was rewatching a lot of them and I'd seen them before it's not like it was my first viewing but with Adam friend uh, Adam friended is that his name mm -hmm. it, it was on this channel it was on Modern Day Debates um but the um uh he missed an easy dunk or like not even a dunk but like a very easy segue to like well yeah that's why I support UBI because you were critiquing him on UBI at the time like because I want the entrepreneurial like uh, innovational. Uh, a culture to exist in America and Sweden does pretty much the same thing. They just do it in a different way anyways, but he didn't do that. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's essentially why I think a lot of these reforms would be great. We'd have more economic growth. We'd have probably more productive growth because the things that people are creating aren't, aren't confined to like whatever the market's incentivizing, which oftentimes is like, well, can, how, how do you make the system so efficient that Karen can get her dildo from the Amazon drone in like two hours? Yeah, so. <laughs> All right. Next one is also from Sayafredo Saradia. They say at Bosch, why would government give money if a city state? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Yeah, it says, why would government give money? I guess they're saying if the government is a city state. Why would it give them to a city state? Or um... I guess give money to the people if they're a city state. I'm not 100% sure exactly. Cool. I'm not really sure. City-states are a completely outmoded type of government. Or The only reason we ever had city-states was because we didn't have the trade and communication infrastructure necessary to get people to communicate and share resources between cities. And we could only build cities near water sources. Nowadays, we can, we can build cities pretty much wherever, maybe not the Mojave. Well, no, we do have cities in the Mojave. Yeah, we can build cities wherever the hell we want. So, yeah, and, and we can, of course, communicate around the world. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the question is necessarily but the answer is th there's probably a way <laughs> i I, guess I'm, I think what they're saying is that since you're like libertarian slash anarchist how would a federal government give mm. people money oh oh well i mean unless we're talking so until we become like communist if we ever become communist um then the federal government can provide people 
money in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, I mean, it wouldn't really differ much from the systems that we have today. You have ideas like UBIs, which I think could be very selectively helpful. You have direct cash out payments, you have tax deductions, you have reduction in lower end tax rates. I, 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 my concern isn't so much the government giving people money as it is the state setting up all of the little incentive structures well enough that everyone can live like a fair, equitable, and free lifestyle, regardless of how much money they're actually making, which is why I support the decommodification of industries like healthcare, transportation. I don't think you should need to have money to benefit from those systems. So this is actually something that I'm kind of interested in because, you know, you, you identify as a libertarian socialist and, you know, but government obviously has like a utilitarian justification as far as uh, implementing certain types of policy. Mm -hmm. And when I look at something like climate change and I think of, okay, there's going to be like billions of people on the planet who are scared for their lives due to the effects of global climate change. Some are going to be reasonable fears. Others are not going to be reasonable. And the unreasonable fear is like, you know, the, the Islamic invader is coming in to, to steal your wife and you're going to become like a cuckold and whatever, whatever crazy shit they're saying on poll, whatever. I don't care about that. But the, the point is that I, I feel like that fear is, uh, will be used as a justification for the governments of these people and not only their, their governments, but if their governments are unwilling, that they will rise up and inevitably become fascists, not just in Europe, not just in Europe. I think that there's going to be uh, religious fascists and, and, and fascist governments and ethno-nationalist governments all over Africa and the Middle East. And, and there's going to be warring tribes and all of these horrible, horrible situations. So how do you get a government that can deal with all of these problems that isn't ruthlessly authoritarian in nature? It's going to need a, a massive military. It's going to need a huge police state, a surveillance state. Like what, I mean, if these can be justified, how could they ever be taken away? I feel like China is the one that's going to end up doing it, to be honest. Well, regardless of what China ends up doing. I don't think you need any of those things to prevent the spread of fascism. Fascism is a social disease, but it tends to stem from sort of preconditions which arise in capitalism. If we look at America right now, the reason, like, you can trace pretty much all of the fascism that we're seeing rise up in America right now to a collection of news programs uh, paid by billionaire demagogues online and radio shock jocks. Uh, who have squatted on the media waves for decades, propagating f flagrant misinformation, usually because it makes their bosses money. This is usually, the climate change stuff plays into it too, because very often these people have are in bed with the oil or gas companies. It seems like the profit incentive and the unwillingness to sort of cordone or control uh, the extent to which the bourgeois control society have led to a lot of the social conditions that we're now experiencing in the form of fascism. I say, if you organize society well, if you give people what they want, and you make sure society isn't run by a bunch of lunatic plutocrats who socially and politically and economically benefit from lying to people, then there's probably not much you got to worry about, or at least less you have to worry about. But for when all that fails, you'll still have police and jails for the loony fascists who shoot up synagogues or whatever. All right, gotcha. Next question is from... Aflamio, he says, your thoughts on agorism and counter-economics. Agrarianism and counter-economics isn't like return to monkey? It says agorism, it might mean agrarianism, but... <laughs> the, the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for mankind? Is that... Wait, is that I... agorism is a social philosophy that advocates... Wait, 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 Bosh, while I have you, I'm sorry, but you, you, young you, looks like a young Ted Kaczynski, and the resemblance <laughs> is uncanny, okay? I'm just saying. I was a, I was a failed clone, okay? I got, I got pulled <laughs> away, uh, and uh, since then I've tried to, you know, I'm trying to reunite with the, the means. 
Now, so it says here, agorism is a social philosophy that advocates creating a society in which all relations between people are voluntary exchanges by means of counter-economics, and counter-economics is an economic theory and revolutionary method consisting of direct action carried out through the black market or the gray market. This, this sounds like, a, like a miserable way to organize society. I'm okay. This seems like a lot, and I'd be willing to look at it more in the future, but I admit to an utter ignorance as to the specifics of counter-economics. Sounds good. Next one is from Brenton Lingle. He says, read the Jakarta method, learn about the school of the Americans. Capitalism has inspired more mass killings and radical authoritarianism than socialism ever could. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't, I don't think I ever brought up like Mao's China or like the amount of people who died in the USSR. They, I specifically didn't bring them up because I think that comparing death totals is really silly. I'm more interested in like what's happening in the world right now, what has happened and what can we expect to see happen? I understand that, uh, as an example, the Chinese Communist Party is not the does, does not represent the ideals of of fascism or <laughs> anarcho Biden that you know of. <laughs> true, true. I mean, it could be very subversive. Yeah. Uh, next one is from Sayafredis Arabia at Vosh in so socialism. How does government? How is government not a business? Well. A business isn't necessarily the issue. The issue is private property. If you define a business just as a collection of people who work within an industry or they operate under sort of some sort of collective banner, then the business itself isn't necessarily the issue. The business has an implication of operating in a, in a private market. But the, a, a business, a government is not. A government is any sort of, um, any sort of broad social hierarchy uh, that is used to designate some degree of control or autonomy over the way society functions. And a state is that plus some extra. So I don't think that necessarily makes the government a business. Like with, with regards to the decommodification of industry and with regards to the democratization of industry, I don't think that either of those things necessarily preclude the existence of a state. Now, of course, in a communist society, you don't have a state, but that, that communism is just high form socialism. So you've got some you got some time to go, you know? I thought I thought communism was when the government did everything. You know, if you ask a dengist, they'll tell you that, okay? That's the that is the one way in I know which a dengist. Dengists and the CIA agree completely, okay? Mm -hmm. The the CIA says communism is when government do thing, and the dengist that Yes! Based CIA. They agree on that one. They'll get that one. <laughs> Next one is also from Brenton Lingle. He says abolitionists were political radic radicals during American slavery. Liberals were political radicals under feudalism. Um, e is advancing a golden mean fallacy. Endernax is advancing a golden mean fallacy. I don't know what the fallacy is, but I, I'll address this by saying this. If you think that uh, your, your plight and your... Uh, organizational effort or or whatever your justification for what you're engaging in or the acts of violence are equivalent to those who existed 200 years ago who were fighting for uh, much more basic human rights uh, i think you have a delusion of grandeur my friend and the idea that though i i agree that those ideas were left-leaning and radical uh they're not nearly as analogous as you think they are like to compare these two things are different by the way wait hold on this is out of nowhere but on twitter a while ago didn't you imply that i was an authoritarian because i said fascism in america should disappear um i don't 
I mean, you'd have to show me the tweet. I think, uh, I think in regards, I, I, I made a critique. I made a critique of you. Uh, this was even before I started streaming. Was there's like this? I don't particularly like the rising in the hill, but I, I don't think Sagar and Jetty is a fascist, and I don't think that could at least his idea of what conservative populism is, is fascism. I think that that's actually a pretty legitimate form of, of real politic. And so I was, I actually tried to bait you into debating me and we, we had a little uh, tit for tat in your chat room at one point. Anyways, it's just, I, maybe it was regard, in regard to that. I think that's the only time I've ever added okay, I was you. Okay, sorry, I wasn't trying to gotcha. I just, I vaguely half remember that. I was legitimately yeah. asking. I definitely, no. Sagar definitely trips my... I mean, you could, you could argue that fascism is a legitimate expression of real politic. I well, mean, it's as much an existing political philosophy as anything else, albeit an eternally contradictory one, but, you know. Next, next one is from Corey S. He said, my MS meds cost... $6,208 a month in USA. Same company sells um, the same drug in Europe for one-tenth of the price and still profits. Without the ACA, the taxpayer pays most of my costs. Socialism isn't the problem, but for-profit co companies writing the regulations are. Well, I imagine Ender would agree with that, right? I mean, that, yeah. I think, I think even cat. So, this, so wait, I want to say something. Maybe this comes off as like enlightened centrist. I'm a big fan in tactical unity. I think that a lot of liberals and even capitalists, well, liberals are capitalists by definition, sorry, the kinds of people who will describe themselves as capitalists, I think that you can agree with them on a lot in issues like this. And you should learn how to make arguments against things like that in ways that liberals will agree with. You know, because I, th I think like that most reasonable people will look at that and they'll agree that there's something wrong. So it should it, you should look for avenues to find ways to get people on your side with stuff. Like um, that. Unless you're some insane ideologue who worships the free market for no coherent reason other than a freedom or something. Yeah, so. unless you're one of those types, <laughs> however many of them there are. Hopefully Thanks. not that many. I think that they're over-exaggerated. You know, I, I genuinely believe that the financial interests have promoted think tanks and certain uh, uh, um, uh uh, thoughts in the American public. Like you, if you think about it, right, you become a lawyer, you know, you want to get involved in politics. So you join the, the Freedom Foundation or Turning Point USA. And that's what you get uh, in, in, in indoctrinated into because it's your really only option or like clear option of having rich people give you free money and say, here, we want you to be politicians now. Yeah, yeah from cash cannons. That was a crazy one. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have then, a video like, on that actually. Yeah, this is like there's fiscal conservatism is a is a joke. Yeah, it's a it's a joke. Next one is from Google user. They say to both, there's been a huge recent surge in the violence against Asian elderly in the Bay Area by um, I think it's it means black perpetrators. Some blame Trump. For COVID, some blame Black Asian race relations. What is the answer? How do you fix it? It's obviously Korean roofs. Not, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, uh, I I don't know. I mean, you address the core causes of crime in the first place. If they're if they're hate crimes, I mean, you prosecute them to the full extent of the law, and you increase surveillance of the area to make sure that these businesses and these people aren't targeted anymore. But if they're that not hate crime, dingus, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally dangus. Uh -huh. um, anyways, the, the the point being is that. Um, you, you address the core causes of the crime. So whatever that be, if they're, if they're majority hate crimes, which I mean, I don't know about you, but a night, what was it? What, what was it? 1,900%? Uh, For like, what, what was, is that actually real? Um, the percentage increase in these crimes. It's yeah. a huge recent, I know actually 
a place I used to work at just got um, vandalized. I think it was yesterday. So it's crazy. I mean, the only logical explanation, considering we haven't seen a massive crime wave to other people, is that it's hate crime oriented. Yeah, I don't. It, it could be hate crime oriented. It could be because of discrimination following COVID nineteen. It could also be that there's a gang in the area that there, there's some sort of tension or some specific organization not necessarily an org but like a loose confederation of individuals that for some reason have been influenced to some extent to do something that isn't hate oriented but could be for some other reason i genuinely don't know but whatever it is it's bad uh so they shouldn't um and we should probably do something about that old elderly people or, or elderly asian people so it's, it can't be like a gang conflict then probably um It'd be weird if it was hate crimes, but only targeting like elderly. I genuinely don't know. Whatever it is, is bad. I think the theory behind it is that elderly people are less likely to report the crimes. Um, That's kind of sad. Yeah. That is, it's really sad, actually. Yeah. Next question is from Alex Gross. They say, I just wanted to point out how utterly regrettable it is that Vosh didn't call upon more arguments from Family Guy in uh, political theory. I look. That's my Super Saiyan move. Okay, you got to bust those ones out. I, best of time. I'm personally, I only use marble, but that's just me. <laughs> I, it's a studier of the Tim Pool. Uh, uh, no, actually, I am a uh, uh, the Schmubin actually technique, Thanos glove. Right? <laughs> okay, very good. Next oh. one is from from K Lewis. No Chinese ever called me in cell. Next one is from <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for the donation. <laughs> hey, I appreciate them not using the original uh, terminology of the quote they're borrowing that from. Um, what was it? No Charlie ever called me N-word from, uh, what was, it? was that Muhammad Ali? Who did that? Who said that? Yeah. No. Oh, oh, that's where it's from. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, but hey, by the way, they got a whole term, maybe not Chinese people, but you know, they got that whole Hikikomori thing in Japan. Okay. Trust me. You're not, they'll, 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 they'll find a way to be mean at you too. All right. USA. <laughs> Next one is from Jordan Rose. Bosch, how do you debate bigots so well? You always have the best responses. You're my favorite debater by far. I don't know if that's a dig at you, Endernax, but... <laughs> no, no, no. It's just who people, who, just who people like. No, I, I'm really not that good. Every time I do a debate, I think, oh, I could have done X better. It's not... But I have a good attitude about it. If you, do, if you do something like this a lot and you're constructive and you don't get super down on yourself whenever you, like, perform poorly, you can usually get pretty good at reasonable self-critique and self-improvement. That's how you get better at everything. The worst thing that people can do to themselves is when they interpret self-criticism as self-hatred. So whenever they do something that looks like a mess up, they like get really mad at themselves. Those um, those types of counterproductive behavior, it actually prevents you from growing because you're not capable of like healthily dealing with or responding to um, criticism you're levying. So just do things a lot and don't beat yourself up too much if you do them poorly one time. Sounds good. Next one is also from Brenton Lingle. He says, you cannot solve the root causes of radicalization in a capitalist economy. You can act, not act against profit without an economic crash. That's why Vietnam has 35 COVID deaths and we have 484,000 plus. Wow. Reforms cannot happen. Well, th there, is, there is a strong counterpoint to that. And it's that, well... I don't necessarily know. 
there are a lot of counterexamples to all of this. Sweden has a higher standard of living than America does, but they have a far-right problem too. And while um, Soviet Russia didn't have especially high standards of living, Soviet Russia did at least aesthetically adhere to the principles of communism, but after the Soviet Union fell, it almost immediately devolved into a pseudo-fascist autocracy. So I think that radicalization can happen in a lot of ways. There are many, many ways societies can fall apart. And I think it's important to not be too essentialist when we think of it in one way, because it leads to us not seeing radicalization coming from the other direction, you know? Makes sense. Any that, thoughts from you? I, Do you agree with I, that? I think I sure. I, I just I think the idea that reform is not possible is basically flies in the face of well most of human history. Even like even in societies where like there wasn't even in societies where there was violent you know action that was done in order to bring about social change. Uh, even in those ones, there was still reformist efforts that worked and did good things. So. Kind of a silly statement, I don't, I don't know. Well, you can reform out of cap. Marx actually did believe you could reform out of capitalism. It's funny, there, there were actually writings from him. He thought that America and some other countries with robust democracies, and this was before black people and women could even vote, he thought that um, these countries could conceivably be reformed into capitalism, um, which was interesting. I don't even necessarily know if I agree with that, but, you know, there's a lot of variants out there. Next one is from... Um, banana Nana Rangitron. Question for Vosh. How would the USA go about democratizing the workplace and how would that affect huge companies such as Amazon, Apple, etc.? I think I said reformed into capitalism when I meant reformed into socialism. That was my bad. Um, there are a lot of ways you can democratize. I I'm just going to spit them out without explanation. <clears throat> So you want to work on a state-by-state -state basis to try and establish a precedent of co-ops functioning by having states have preferential treatment from banks lending loans to businesses that intend to start in a co-op. You can have cities have like designated areas or designated quotas for co-op development. And all of this would serve to prove a kind of experiment where you could use to justify the implementation of these systems on a larger level. The larger a corporation gets, the more complicated the cooperative gets. Autocracy is simple, democracy is hard. For very, very, very large corporations like Apple, you have to look away from the standard flock cooperative model and you have to start looking towards less ideal cooperatives that can maybe be improved upon like Mondragon. The goal with corporations like this if made into a cooperative model would be to not have everyone be on one flat playing field but rather have separate and autonomous tiers, cells, units of democracy that work together to form a cohesive whole. So say you have one branch that has like a thousand people working for it, and from that thousand people, you have like three blocks of different districts, and they all vote on their managers, then the three managers together vote on one leader for that group, and then the leader from that district, along with the ones from other districts, can be together to lead in a, like a, a regional leader, and so on and so forth. There are many ways that this can be implemented. I would be interested in seeing it started bit by bit. With a company as large as Amazon, you can't snap your fingers and change the structure. That can't happen. You would destroy every... You, you can't do that. But you can start small, find ways to legitimize these systems on a ground level, and then investigate how they can be applied to a larger level. I think that would be very good. Sounds good. Next one is from Sphincter of Doom. They say civil rights movement slash ending slavery is not a leftist policy. It's simply a policy of liberty. It is not synonymous with socialism slash social democracy. Uh, sure. I, I, I don't think anybody made that claim, though. I, I, I would say that, generally speaking, um, and this is going to sound crazy, right? But like, it's not like 
the uh, it's all relative to the, his, the the period of history you're in, right? I mean, the left, the quote unquote leftists of the uh, of, of what 1500s Europe were the Protestants or the the people engaging in the Protestant Reformation. It just it changes based on the historical context, and I think it's kind of nobody here was like, oh well, actually, the people who freed the slaves, those uh, were actually uh, um, uh, anarcho-communists who believed in. Uh, the dissolution of gender like that's not what anybody said it's more it's more that lefties tend to be around when these things happen there were many many socialists involved in the abolition movement but it's true that's not an inherently socialist movement you a lot can... of religious people too hmm? a lot of religious a lot of religious oh yeah uh, well to be well. fair 19 or sorry 1850s america you're going to get a lot of religious people sure any direction you walk um and say a civil rights movement too i mean there's a reason why Martin Luther King Jr. was a socialist. It wasn't a coincidence. And the civil rights protesters were described as communists and Bolsheviks by their critics. And to an extent, I mean, MLK was a socialist, so there was some legitimacy there. But I think generally freedom trends towards freedom. And if you're a socialist, I think it makes you more likely to be in support of racial liberation. That's not always true, though. There have been plenty of socialist leaders who have pretty bad human rights uh, records, so... It's not always good. Next one is from the anti-malarkey uh, action. They say ban all malarkey. Next one is from Ruse321. They say at Bosch, given your position on reform and incrementalism to affect positive change, do you think the Mensheviks had the right idea in the early USSR? Would love to get Ender Nax's thought as well. The Mensheviks were the faction that were ultimately purged by the Bolsheviks because they were working with the liberal parties. Is that, is, am I getting a history right there? I'm not sure. I believe you're correct. I'm really, really quickly read, because uh, I remember reading up on these people and just re reminding myself who they were. Um, <laughs> Speed hey, originally the second Congress of the RSDLP, the Minor Issues Party organization. Well, I know more than both the socialists on the panel. No, uh, no I got a bad memory. Um, <laughs> yeah, socialist. one of one I'm of the. I'm just teasing. I'm just I think <laughs> the fate of the Soviet Union was pretty much set in stone the moment that Lenin invited the anarchist, like uh, Black Flag group, to a war meeting towards the end of the Civil War, and like he didn't show up, and then they were all shot. Um, I I feel like that kind of set the stage for how the USSR would turn out. Um, Lenin's writing and Lenin's actual like behavior sure did vary quite a bit. I think that any proper socialist movement should be made out of a, a, a pluralistic union of a bunch of different groups. So purging your allies is something I'm pretty much always going to be against, you know? <laughs> Makes sense. Um, Sphincter of Doom says having welfare subsidy subsidize entrepreneurship is just gambling with someone else's retirement. <laughs> I mean, I hope this goes without saying, but no more money would be allotted towards investing in ingenuity than would be needed for retirement funds. You, you wouldn't cut into the, the retirement fund for people to fund those processes. 
<laughs> here's here's a welfare state that supports your existence even past your working age. Uh, well, that's taking for excuse me, Andernax. You you want to promote entrepreneurship? That's take. You're literally taking everything. Shut up. This is, <laughs> what is this argument? Now, and people like the the government's budget's razor thin, and like one more person files the grant, the government's like, fuck, we're out of money. What do we do? <laughs> we're taking it out of Tim's fucking uh, uh, in, <laughs> IRA in, fund. In Sweden, in Sweden, it's not even like. It's not even like we're going to give you money to start your capital venture. It's like if you're unemployed, right, and you can't find work or you're working towards making your own like business or whatever, you, you just get enough to live on. That's it. You're not going to be homeless. You're going to have a house. You're going to have health care. You're going to have, an, you know, you're going to be able to buy food. And that's like it. It's not like they're like, here's $500,000, Tim. Uh, good luck. We uh, we wish you luck in your venture. That's not what happens. Please, uh, please, Ender Max, don't, don't try to start another business. We're, we're running out of retirement <laughs> funds. People don't even, we can't. They can't even afford food anymore, please. The whole GDP <laughs> just towards you trying to make uh, the e-phone. Just invested all into GME. <laughs> next, next one is from Kazen um, Kamikaze. They say, Endermax, I agree with your take on preventing harm from the climate crisis, but I also agree with Vosh and his um, optimism that we can reduce ecological harm. Can we b work toward both goals currently uh sure i mean i i have no problem doing so i'm i'm a, i think that you know we should have uh for a, a, a public works program a public service program where people out of high school you know maybe you could choose what you want to do you can go into the conservation corps the environmental corps or whatever it is and you know you could plant trees or build sustainable architecture whatever it is i, I don't yeah, I'm absolutely in favor of these things. I, I'm just of the mindset that I, I don't think that um, uh, uh, wind and, and solar are the way to get to a sustainable society reasonably within my lifetime anyways. And I think that they have their own problems within their own supply lines, but that's conversation for another I'm day. sorry, it was Trotsky who killed all of them, not Lenin. That was my bad. The anarchist, was it? the anarchist black army was fighting with the red army because the red army had purged some of their camps and executed some of their officials. And then leaders from the Black Army got uh, uh, brought to a joint planning conference. They were all sitting at a table, and then f a fucking uh, assassin just showed up and beamed all of them in the back of the head. And that was about the end of that. Jesus. Sorry, I just wanted to correct, because anytime I say anything even remotely wrong about USSR history, I get 20 angry emails, so I just... <laughs> had to be. Next one is from Dinobot2. Endernax, you're left of center economically and socially conservative since the vast majority of politicians in the U.S. aren't both of these. Which do you put more importance on, economic or social? Uh, generally, I tend to be swayed by pragmatic arguments for economic gain because I could I could do something like magicaroo, switcheroo, moral moral argument for UBI because it's going to reduce the amount of abortions that take place and you know like a spread of free, free contraceptives to people so that they are like getting knocked up less ultimately will result in less abortions. I don't really yeah I, I mean. That's that's the way I tend to go. For people who don't, I, I supported Andrew Yang. I worked on his campaign. I've worked for Democrats in the past. I'm, I don't consider myself a Democrat. I consider myself an independent. If a Republican came along with socially conservative values and legitimate left-leaning economic views, sign me up. I'm, I'll go and campaign for them for free. Gotcha. We only have a couple more questions left. I apologize. This is taking a little longer. Um, Sphincter of Doom says, anything seems worth it. I'm sorry, anything seems worth it spending someone else's money. Non-voluntary exchanges are inherently distorted in cost-benefit analysis. Okay, hold on. 
Okay, so that's fundamentally an argument against taxes as well. So from a utilitarian perspective, we have to recognize that some degree of taxation in any type of society is necessary because there's no other way of levying the framework that ensures for other voluntary systems to exist. Private business would not exist without the state protecting property rights. All the shit that you like, all the shit you jerk off to while crying yourself to sleep at night exists exclusively because there is a state body capable of protecting it, okay? Now, the real question is, with the acceptance of this incredibly obvious fact that anybody over the age of six should be able to understand intuitively, how can we best organize society to minimize the coercion involved? So some societies attempt to do this with very low tax rates. Some societies attempt to do this with very high tax rates, but by using those tax rates in order to implement social reforms that actually decrease the amount of money individuals have to spend. There's a lot of incredibly nuanced discussion with a lot of outcomes that can take place from that, but none of them are going to be solved by troglodyte 60 IQ dipshits like you, who unironically believe that an ANCAP America would be the solution to your lack of freedom, and that you wouldn't be some sort of peon slave miner living on a fucking corporate town, dying at 52 from black lung, birthing all your children and immediately selling them into slavery to pay back the debts that you got from going to the fucking vending machine outside of your apartment. Okay? You could just, but wait, but boss, you could just choose to join a union and then you could collectively bargain for your labor. So obviously that wouldn't happen. And I, I mean, wish him the I best oppose, of luck. If I oppose the corporate interest, right, as, listen, if they build a giant wall around my private property and, and embargo me from the rest of society and I starve to death, they didn't violate the principle of non-aggression. They just bought the private property around my place. The, the, the solution is sovereign that. citizenry, you know, just build a fence around your territory and march <laughs> around it in circles and you'll be good. Whoever builds the highest wall and has the best air defense wins. Proof. The Pope just automatically wins. <laughs> um, Animated effigy. Can we all admit that all first world governments operate hybrid systems and this that this argument is about old, an old paradigm? Take what works from each system. Sure. I I mean, I think that's fundamentally where I come from. I'm like, yeah, I'm open to like whatever ideas I think are good for people in general. Um, but I, my issue was with ideology or like a, a dogmatic adherence to an ideology. That's really where I'm coming from. It's right. not like I'm not a radical. I mean, people, most, you know, Republicans, they look at me and they go, you're just a communist. And then like Democrats look at me and they're like, you're just a, you're, you know, you're like a, a fascist or whatever. And I'm just like, it, neither. That's coming up, by the way, there's a question. Um, <laughs> yeah, wrong. I just want to say, we have mixed economies in the sense that most developed countries have some types of decommodified industries, which is true. We don't have mixed economies when it comes to ownership. Uh, and I personally don't really care about the, a, a, a state owning an industry unless that state is appropriately democratic. Democracy is the thing that I care about most. So when we talk about taking what we like from these systems most, I agree about that. But we have to recognize that there are some broader systems that we don't really implement widely because there are people in power who don't want us to. And there are the people in power, so that's what we get, you know? Gotcha, that makes sense. Um, next question is from Balthazar228. What does each think about how the ex existential threat of catastrophic climate apocalypse will affect the material needs of the people and the cataclysmically slow rate of change in Congress, especially with the bipartisan compromise? I mean, the idea in my mind that you're even going to pass something as uh, 
like like the Green New Deal is like out the window. So for me, it's about like minimizing harm. I I I look to agricultural policy. Like I'm I piss off a lot of people because I'm like, no, we actually need to increase food output to the to the tune of being able to support like a billion starving mouths. I mean, you're right. It's going to be something that's going to fundamentally change the entire world in a way that's we've never seen before. So we're fucked unless we abandon isolationism. These aren't mm -hmm. problems that we can that's fix. That's the trend, though. It is, yeah, and that's the problem. Internationalism is the only chance we have. If we all embrace isolationism, there are going to be two types of countries. There are going to be the ones lucky enough to be far away from climate refugees, where their solution to the problem will be gunning down people at the border, and then there are going to be countries near the periphery, near Southeast Asia, near Central America, possibly including America, um, that end up getting swarmed with climate refugees past the point where we can meaningfully defend our borders. We're not going to take them in as we should, and uh, it's going to lead to massive martial conflict. There is no good out unless we're willing to work together collectively, and that's going to involve a lot of suffering for a lot of people, but it's a hell of a lot better than it will be if we all close ourselves off into tiny, isolated little governments and don't think about the big picture. Yeah, I mean, it's why we need to, like, encourage further economic integration with Canada and Mexico and, and the war on drugs, start supporting them economically. Because I can tell you right now, if there's a flood of, of refugees coming up uh, from the South to America, and America's response is, we're just going to build a wall and ignore it. <laughs> uh, we're in for a rude awakening as those starving people start flooding over the border and committing acts of violence to get food and the material need, like, their material needs met. So, Dude, how fucking based would it be? America is, like in terms of landmass, about the size of China, with about a fifth of the population, fourth and a half of the population, how based would it be if in preparation for climate refugees, we just we just start building out like towns in the Midwest, these massive spaces of land where we don't farm and we, we, we don't even have people, we just start building out. It's like refugees are coming. Fuck yeah, we're ready for you, okay? Get ready, we're incorporating. America's population's gonna skyrocket, baby. Then we become a stronger economic power, as long as we're well prepared to handle these people. Uh, we become more culturally diverse, which I personally like. Win-win. I'm of the mindset that, listen, these people, these ethno-nationalists, you already have ethno-states, go home! Nobody wants you here, you already have them! Go, shoo, shoo, go to Ireland, go to Hungary, go to, go to, the, Sweden, I don't care. Please. We have Wyoming. What do you want? <laughs> Next one is from Paul. He says, question for Vosh. How would the USA go about democratizing the workplace? Um, I And how will that affect large companies? You know what? We already did that. He must yeah, I feel have found like it. I feel like I nailed that one earlier. <laughs> that was uh, from PayPal. I think he found a way how to do it on YouTube as well. Ariel Fernandez says, Vosh, why was Franco Spain one of the countries that ignored the Cuban embargo and just kept trading with Cuba after the Cuban revolution? Uh, that, I, I don't know. I haven't looked into why Franco was Spain did that necessarily. The simplest explanation would probably be that Franco was Spain wasn't aligned with the United States. Uh, right, I think, which means that if they weren't, they were probably comfortable with it because they didn't think it was. Wait, it was aligned. Is that true, chat? They, they were pretty neutral on a lot of things. So. We sent them oil. Maybe they felt like for some reason, Francoist Spain 
they didn't represent an international threat to them. What, one of the interesting things, we kind of talked about this with Internet X, one of the interesting things about the relationship between these less powerful countries is that very often their interactions don't make sense if you just look at the ideologies of what each country adheres to, and instead which countries are supported by which other countries. Most uh, geopolitical engagement, just trade, war, everything, comes down to who is um, with America and who is against America. That's pretty much the strongest determinant for most international behavior, which is terrifying. Uh, but that's the world we live in. We we essentially united the entire world through economic incentive and, you know, basically like we were, hey, we're going to take a trade deficit in exchange. We're going to put our military bases here. You're going to oppose the USSR. And we also propped up China as a, a, a like it, it, we, we made our own monster, honestly, is, is the, the truth of the matter. But yeah, these geopolitical engagements are often very complicated and don't match up whatsoever to ideology. Yeah, fr yeah, fuck Franco, by the way. FYI. We only have two little ones left. Um, one is from DCD, and this is the one I was referencing. Endernax, why are you a Nazball? Stop hiding it. Yeah, uh, I'm just going <laughs> to expose this nerd. Uh, that's a bait comment that's paid for by... Uh, by the person who makes my thumbnails. Wait, can I ask a real guys. question, by the way? Do you actually mind being jokingly called a Nazbol because it's misrepresentative? Yes, yeah, or, okay, I, I, I don't really know if it's do. a meme in your community or... No, because then uh, there's literally people who come and like accuse me of being an actual Nazi. And like, to me, like I, bef like, I had already decided a long time ago that Nazis were probably, you know, as evil as you can get on the ideology sphere. I'm very much opposed to their ideas and ideals. I don't like them as people generally. Um, so like... It really got to me at first. Like I almost quit streaming when I first started to my ten person audience because every two seconds there was a lefty in chat calling me a Nazi. Is, that, is a it just because you're a young white guy with a clean shaven <laughs> face and a suit? I think so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I well, you know what? I will not perpetuate this anymore. Okay. I thought it was like a community joke. I didn't realize it was some weird <laughs> ascription, unearned description. Okay. Gotcha. It's because I said once that if uh, billionaires avoided a wealth tax through like, like offshoring their money overseas, that the CIA should like give them handlers to make sure that they avoid tax. I said this on a debate panel once and then shut up for the rest of the segment because I didn't want to like join the lefties and clobbering all the right wingers on the panel. So, Well, that's the problem with every political panel, right? Especially on Twitch. There are only so many conservatives, but most of the big ones are left leaning. Last comment is Sayafredo Sarabia. You say, thank you, Kuros, a great moderation in listening. You guys made moderation really, really easy for me. So I, I appreciate that um, from both of you. And I also appreciate your time coming on here. I know it was a little longer than intended, as well as all of the audience taking your time to come here and to listen to this debate. Be sure to check out both Ender and Vosh's um, links in the description if you want to hear more of their content, which I assure you, you do. Um, so definitely make sure to check them out. And we have a lot more debates coming up. We have Ariel Scarcella in like the future. So um, be sure to subscribe um, and we will be getting those debates um, out to you. Um, and without further ado, uh, I know it's actually Walsh's birthday tomorrow, so happy birthday. Um, but we want to be able to wrap this up so everyone can get to bed. Uh, keep on sorting the reasonable from the unreasonable. Have a wonderful rest of your night.
Thank you. Seriously, I appreciate that. And I want to say, um, as always, Carissa, I, uh, I I love you very much. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I hope <laughs> you're having a phenomenal day, and I hope that the kid's doing good. They are. They're doing great. <laughs> okay, Hunter, doing well. Ender, Max, I had a phenomenal time talking to you. Seriously. I had a good time, too. Thank you for the uh, honest conversation. I thought it was going to get blood sports, but it didn't at all. It's pretty reasonable and amicable. So no, like memes for, aside, uh, every time I've seen you talk, you've been pretty reasonable. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Hopefully, we didn't disappoint too many of the people watching. I hope you yeah, have a I'm wonderful sure. day. <laughs> you too. Good have a good you one. too. And happy birthday. Thank, Thank you, you both for coming on. I'll have a good one. See you, Carissa. Take care. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Nice. Okay. That was really fun.